Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you're watching on the NRB Network, DirecTV, Channel 378, or on AM 820, The Truth, listening there, we welcome you. Uh, if you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter live on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. I was a born-again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity. It's the book that kind of started it all. It's available at bornagainmormon.com, utlm.org, which is also a great uh, resource place to find quotes, history on Mormonism, uh, Christian Gift and Bible, and Lifeway Christian bookstores. Every week, God willing, so far without fail, we hold a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study right here in Salt Lake City, Utah. All are welcome. Go to calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions. Well, October is going to be a busy month. On Sunday, October 3rd, first of all, I'll be speaking at Provo Baptist Church. Pastor Neil is there, great guy, 6 p.m. Then also on Sunday, October 3rd, 7 p.m., Super Chick, a Christian band who is reportedly really hot, uh, will be playing at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. And in order to support this event, we are going to be giving away uh, two VIP tickets to this, to the first callers, uh, first the caller who can call and pronounce the secret password, which is up on the screen. So whoever pronounces that secret password best to the operator will be the wiener, and I will uh, then uh, bring you on the air in a minute, and you, we will announce that you're the winner of the two VIP super chick passes for October 3rd, Sunday night at uh, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, that concert. Uh, also then um, on October 6th, a Wednesday, Compassion, Clarity, and Confidence Ministry of the Magic Valley has asked me to speak at the Lighthouse in Twin Falls, Idaho on Wednesday, October 6th, 7 p.m. This is a free event. Come early and get one of the 1,100 seats available. The Lighthouse is located at 960 Eastland Drive in Twin Falls, Idaho. You can go to www.lighthousetwinfalls.com for more information. We're expecting to have a great uh, crowd to launch off the Compassion, Clarity, and Confidence 
ministry outreach then at the Lighthouse of Twin Falls. So check that out. And then finally, Utah Christian Fellowship is having me speak on Sunday, October 17th. 6 p.m. Utah Christian Fellowship is located at 4037 Nike Drive in West Jordan. Uh, you can go to www.utahchristian.net for map and directions. Last week, uh, we got a received a telephone call uh, from uh, TBN Christian Networks. They're the fifth, from what I understand, largest Christian network in uh, largest television network in the world. Uh, fifth after NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox. Uh, supposedly, from what I've read online, they reach an audience, not a potential audience, but an audience worldwide, worldwide of like 800 million people. Well, the president and co-founder of TBN, his name's Paul Crouch, he personally wants heart of the matter on their station, on their network. And so uh, this is a, an exciting announcement. announcement. It's also uh, a little bit nerve-wracking. We can't completely understand why they would want this set and this host with the things that this mouth says on that network, but they, they do want us on it, and we are working out negotiations now. So we would just appreciate all of your prayers, just your prayers to, to let this go the way, of course, the way the Lord wants it, and we will. Now, we have a winner, I guess. Winner on line one. Uh, we have a winner. You're on, you're on the air right now, winner on line one. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? See, this is why TBN wants us. Because we're at the, the top of our game. You see this? Winner on line one. Okay, well, that gives, our, gives us to, time to figure out what the heck's wrong with the phone lines. We'll come back, uh, operator pick up line one or two or whatever, and talk to them. Uh, finally, before we go to a prayer, I have heard from some trusted sources that over the past few weeks and months, I have grown a little indifferent uh, to some of our callers on the program. Uh, it's always hard to hear things like that, but I try to step back and analyze myself in light of what's being said. Certainly, the mounting pressures and demands that have come with the ministry have had an effect on me, uh, but that only attributes to part of my attitude. I think uh, another thing that has really frustrated me is watching Mormonism, by virtue of their power and their money, uh, influence the general unsuspecting public. I know what the machine is about, and when I see their advertising or uh, watch Glenn Beck talk uh, about Mormonism to millions, uh, I kind of feel like a kid uh, trying to move the Rocky Mountains with a toy plastic shovel. It's just quite frustrating to watch that. So I apologize for, for my weak faith. But to really get to the heart of the matter, the real impetus behind my bad mood uh, has been sin. Um, I really, really operate well when my conscience is clear. Um, and when I stumble or purposely step into sinful ways, I become less patient and less loving and less the man God wants me to be. Uh, and sin has a way of snowballing on us and on me. I start with a little bit of pride, a little bit of lust. My impatience then grows. And before I know it, I'm actually considering uh, beating a bad driver to a pulp or some other evil act. And this is my natural man. So, and what it does, my natural man, my spirit would never do. 
and then what my spirit would do, my flesh uh, resists. So please forgive me my failures as a man. Forgive me my impatience. Uh, I am a jackass, and if left to my own devices, it won't take long before I self-destruct right before your eyes. Uh, but where I am faithless, God is faithful. And where I fail, he has succeeded on my behalf. This I trust. And because of this knowledge, I am able to overcome my natural ways and to turn to his. And so I pray for your strength as we continue to move forward, for your indulgence, for my uh, indifference, my impatience, my angry outbursts if they come about, and just realize you're dealing with, you know, just a guy who's trying to get the message out there. So with that, we're going to pray and we're going to come back and reach our winner on line four. Heavenly Father, we love you and need you. I need you as we uh, host the show. We pray for our viewing audience, wherever they may be. We pray for our volunteers. We pray for Merle, our uh, director who was in an accident and had his lung punctured and ribs broken. And we pray for uh, Cassidy and Brandy and Emma and, and, uh, and Kathy Maggie and, and uh, Danita and uh, uh, everybody else who is back behind, Linda Cassidy, who's back behind the scenes trying to run the show tonight, we pray you'll bless them and, and those who are volunteered behind the camera. Everybody who is there with us, Lord, we just pray that this message will be right and we'll be able to reach people with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go to the message, we're going to pick up winner on line four. You are the winner of the two tickets to see Super Chick on Sunday night, October 3rd at Calvary Chapel. Are you there? You're there? Yes. Excellent. Can you pronounce the secret code word on the air for us? Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. <laughs> There's no pause allowed. But you, you did great. Congratulations. Stay on the line. They'll get your information, and we'll get those tickets to you. Okay, thanks. Okay, hold on. Isn't that an exciting little addition we've had to Heart of the Matter tonight? If you didn't like it, it was Derek's idea. If you liked it, it was mine. All right. Across the world, even as we speak tonight, there are LDS missionaries delivering a whitewashed version of what they call the restored gospel. Built into their sales pitch is a little gym. They like to shine up when the, uh, to, that makes their whole presentation seem even better. The fact they will claim that Mormonism does not pay those who serve in the church. In the unofficial but fairly ubiquitous pamphlet, The 17 Points of the True Church, one point plainly states, the true church must have no paid clergy. With almost unbearable pride, many Mormons hold this claim up as if it, as if it truly validates them as the true Christian religion and a people representing God. But is it true? Tonight we are going to explore the topic of paid clergy. Is it a better system, even God's system, for those who are in full-time clergy or even part-time to go uncompensated? And what does the Bible say about pastors being paid? And what are the effects of the LDS system of supposed non-paid clergy on a congregation of supposed uh, uh, of believers as opposed to a church where the clergy is paid for their labors? We will conclude uh, all of this by examining how much the LDS Church actually follows its own claims, too, of being an unpaid clergy. So what does the Bible say about paid clergy? Let's look first at the Old Testament. How, ask yourself, how did the sons of Aaron earn their keep 
in the Old Testament as they were assigned to full-time employment of doing work in God's temple. They were supported by those things that were given to the people, uh, given to the temple by the community for God's use. Did you know that? The sons of Aaron who ran the temple lived off what was given to the temple for God's use. This fact caused Paul to write when speaking of whether a person in God's service should be paid, 1 Corinthians 9, 13, 14. Listen to what he said. Do you not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord anointed that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay? You know what that means? That he's saying that in the old times, those who worked at the altar lived by the altar, by the things that were given by the altar. And so he concludes, even the Lord has ordained those which preach the gospel should live of the gospel, the same way that those who lived by the altar lived of the altar. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles in the original church, and he wrote this. And Joseph Smith claims to have restored the true church to the earth, but Joseph Smith refutes this. The Mormon church refutes what he is saying. Also, let's consider the popu popular biblical illustration for those who teach the word of God in the Bible, okay? The Bible uses an illustration. It says there are shepherds and there are sheep. And the shepherds guard the flock and they feed the sheep. That illustration is used throughout the Old Testament, especially in, uh, 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 I can't even remember, Jeremiah especially about the shepherds feeding the flock, protecting the flock. And in this uh, illustration, it's really important that the shepherds constantly feed the flock. The illustration used in the New Testament is that the shepherds are teaching the word of God to the flock, the members of the body of Christ. And that is the illustration used throughout. And as a result of the title ascribed to those whose job is to teach and lead in the things of God's shepherd, we get the word pastor. Now, how do we get pastor from the word shepherd? It's the Latin word. If you say to somebody who speaks Latin pastor, they're going to think shepherd. That's all it means. A pastor is a shepherd. Okay? So now tell me, is being a true shepherd over a flock a part-time, voluntary, unpaid position, which only takes a couple of uh, hours a week to do, or is it a full-time occupation to be a shepherd over a flock? It's not like wolves clock in at the beginning of the day, do their work, and at the end of the day they clock out. Remember that cartoon where the two, the wolf would show up and do that? That's not how it works, if, if, unless you believe that, you know. So can a truly devoted shepherd really prepare to know and teach the word of God while tending the flock by only working five or eight hours a week and, 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 and then not being uh, supported that way? Or does a real shepherd completely dedicate his life to serving and teaching and, and preparing messages so that that shepherd can feed and protect and counsel the flock. David wrote in Psalm 27, 18, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. All right? So he that waiteth, serveth on his master shall be honored. The parallel is if you take care of the fig tree, you eat of the fruit thereof. If you serve the master, you will be honored by that service through same as eating the fig tree. Also consider this. 
What picture do you have of Jesus and his apostles as they went out into the world to teach? Did, what did Jesus say to the 12 when they went out? Matthew 10, 10. He said, take no script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. Listen to what he says. For the workman is worthy of his meat. Do you imagine Jesus and the 12 as self-sufficient Mormon bishops with good jobs who administered and managed the people like corporate leaders uh, or that of a humble Christian shepherd who got up daily and taught the flock and protected it from the things of the world? All right, and next in Deuteronomy 25.4, it reads, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. What does that mean? It came from God himself who said that while an ox is out plowing the field, do not forbid him from freely eating from the grain that is around its feet. Now, how does this apply to our topic of paid clergy? When speaking of this very topic, Paul appeals to this verse in Deuteronomy. You see, he says, if God commanded that those uh, that, if God commanded that we are not to withhold support, and comfort to an ox while it's employed plowing a field, how much more should human beings who labor in his vineyard be paid with the monies and goods that are given to the church? That's the analogy Paul makes. Listen to what he writes, 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 11. It's on your screen. He writes, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Then he asks, is it for the oxen that God cares, or saith he it assuredly for our sake? Meaning, what to what is this applied, this ox? Does he care about the ox more or for people? Paul continues, yea, for our sake it was written, because he that plows ought to plow in hope, and he that thresheth to thresheth in hope of partaking. That's what he's talking about. If we sowed unto you spiritual things, is it a greater matter if we shall reap your carnal things? Paul is saying there, if we are out there and we are working uh, and sowing spiritual things, isn't it okay for us, is it a big deal for us to reap carnal things as a reward? That's an amazing thing. If others partake of this right over you, do not we yet more? Meaning, hey, if we're dealing in spiritual things that are of most importance to people, shouldn't we be even more worthy to receive carnal rewards for those labors? That's what he's saying there, my friends. Repeating the premise, he instructed Timothy in this way. 1 Timothy 5, uh, 5 17 through 18. Listen, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and in teaching, that is what shepherds and pastors should be doing, laboring in word and in teaching. For the scripture says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treads out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his hire. I mean, really, what else do you need? The word is perfectly clear, perfectly clear, that this is how God set it up for those who spend their lives teaching the word and, and caring and tending to the flock. Now, as a means to support the evilness of a paid clergy, the LDS resort to a number of tactics which get their members to view pastors as money-grubbing imps of Satan. And I'm not exaggerating that. For starters, in the LDS temple, temples, they show a film. 
And in that film, at least when I was a member, and I bet it's still the same, they had an actor who represented a Protestant minister, okay? And this actor is standing over to the side in this film, and Satan sees him, and Satan goes up and says, hey, I'll hire you to teach Adam's children your gospel. I will pay you well. The implication is clear. Men who are paid to teach the gospel are in the, in the employment of Satan himself. And all temple attending Mormons are taught this from the day they go in. And they see that film over and over and over again. So when a, a Mormon hears the truth of the gospel... And they, and they hear that a pastor has a church and he's teaching down the road and, he, and they are invited to come visit that church. They think of the, what they see in the temple and they say, I don't want to go to that. I'm not going to that. That guy's of the devil. He gets his payment from the devil. The scripture teaches us that it's, it's perfectly normal for someone to receive compensation for dealing in spiritual things. But the LDS church in their temple film makes it seem like you're in the employment of Satan. Secondly, the LDS have a long history of its leaders and missionaries and members speaking out against pastors and preachers for their paid labor. Joseph Fielding McConkie wrote in Revelations of the Restoration, page 964, quote, Wherever creeds are found, one can expect to find a paid clergy. The simple truths of the gospel cloaked in the dark robes of mystery, religious intolerance, and a history of bloodshed. Let's leave that up there on the screen for a second. I want to comment on that. You know, that, that, that passage right there that's in that book by a very popular Mormon, it says that wherever creeds are found, we can also expect to find a paid clergy. So he's being derogatory uh, about a paid clergy. And this is what he says the paid clergy are delivering. The simple truths of the gospel are cloaked in dark robes of mystery. That explains Mormonism far more than it describes Christianity. Christianity says, hey, you're, you're saved by faith. Mormonism has these dark robes of mystery in their temples that you can't even find, and yet they twist it on you. And it says you'll find religious intolerance. I have never seen a more intolerant group on religion than the Mormons, and their temples are showing Protestant pastors in the employment of Satan. That's religious intolerance if I've ever seen it. The missionaries knocking on the door say every church is false except the Mormon church. That's religious intolerance. You'll go, you will not go to live with God if you belong to any other faith, and if you don't embrace Mormonism, that's religious intolerance and a history of bloodshed? I don't know a true Christian who has shed blood, but I know true Mormons who shed blood. Look at our Mountain Meadows history report. Those were true Mormons who shed innocent blood of those people. So I don't know, that quote really describes Mormonism far more than it describes Christianity. The late but still highly respected LDS apostle James Tal Talmadge described paid clergy when he wrote in The Vitality of Mormonism, page 155, listen or read this quote. Never has been spoken a stronger arraignment of insincere teachers, false pastors, self-seeking hirelings, those who teach for pelf and, for, and divine for dollars, robbers who pose as shepherds yet avoid the door of the fold and climb up by some other way, prophets in the devil's employment, that's a direct relationship to the temple, to achieve their master's purpose, meaning Satan's, hesitancy not to robe themselves in assumed sanctity and appear in sheep's clothing while inwardly they are ravening wolves. I mean, this is strong rhetoric and, and Talmadge is very respected in the LDS community and it, it is resonating through, echoing through the halls of Mormon churches, stake centers and chapels. Listen, 
The Christian church is under the power of Satan. The pastors are in the employment of Satan and they are receiving filthy lucre for their, uh, as their payment. And they act like they just love and embrace everybody. We love everybody. Moving on, LDS apostles and missionaries use several biblical passages out of context to defend their position. I'm going to defend, I'm going to read one. And, and it's in 1 Peter 5, 2. We're going to skip one, you guys. 1 Peter 5, 2. And it says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, nor for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Okay, that's what Peter suggests for those who teach and become shepherds. But again, what's the context of the verse? Pastors are without a doubt called to feed the flock of God, to teach them God's word. And for what reason? What motivation should they do? Peter says, not by constraint, they should do it willingly. So that's not by calling, not by someone assigning you. They should willingly want to teach the word of God. And it should be their vocare. That's a Latin word for their call, their vocare. We get the word vocation from that. They have a calling to do it. And they ought to do it because they want to, not out of compulsion. And Peter adds, listen, if you're going to shepherd and teach the word, don't do it for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, he says. All right. All Peter is saying that in order to be an effective and loving shepherd of the Lord's sheep is our intentions for doing so must be based in love and of a ready mind. And, you know, anybody who thinks that, that, that you get into becoming a teacher of the word of God for filthy lucre is deluded. It's there. You're just deluded. You know, usually pastors are starving. You know, it's just the way it works. All right. We're going to talk about that in a second before we conclude. You'll notice that we receive a number of calls from LDS wondering uh, how much money I make doing this. It's, they love that question. Uh, they ask this because they have been taught that anyone who goes into ministry is doing it for filthy lucre. But true Christians know uh, the facts about that. The, it has been abused without a question. There are people who have been in it or have fallen into the trap of making money their uh, priority. I would suggest Mormonism is at the top of the list of that though. So while we do have that go on in the Christian church, I think far more historically you see people who have starved to death and yet taught the word of God to people who are seeking. Uh, we have proven that scripture clearly supports a paid clergy. This means God himself allows people to receive support who teach and shepherd. And if God supports this, he must know that all things considered, this is the best method on earth for human beings. So what then does it mean to have shepherds who are not paid, who lead a congregation? Now, I've given this a lot of thought over the years. And you see, when a Christian church pays their pastor, he becomes their servant. That really is the picture it should be. The church should not be serving him. He should be serving them. And his main job, as we've said, to teach the gospel of grace from the word of God. He's also there to counsel and to perform religious services like funerals and weddings and to speak at times, things like that. The body of believers support him based on his dedication to the Lord and the call he has on his life. And according to scripture, he is worthy of remuneration even more than people are worthy of pay in secular jobs. Uh, and this is the exact point that Paul makes. If he fails to do as the manual instructs, he will lose his position. If he follows the manual, the Bible, then God will bless him and he has nothing to fear. Now, let's look at the LDS system. In it, everyone in the congregation is called to their leadership positions based on their worthiness, 
their past performance, their merits, and in some cases, their wealth and their ability to have the time to lead their ward. The duty is never to teach the word of God because they rarely do it. The bishops don't get up and teach. They rarely do that. So instead, they serve more as a middle manager of a worldwide business conglomeration. And they are there to ensure obedience and worthiness among their members, to maintain the status quo, to counsel using the prescribed LDS guides aimed at getting people to have a higher performance level in their congregation, and to advance their members up through the priesthood, especially to get them temple worthy, which means get them to pay tithes. They are like corporate middle managers. They don't teach the word of God. They don't. Where a pastor, paid pastor, might encourage his members to support the church financially. He might say, we need some help to keep the church going. Christians are free to belong without a cost. I have, I have never known a real Christian church where people are said, you can't come here if you don't put into the till. I've never heard of such a thing. All right. But with a non-paid bishop, he works very hard at getting the rest of the word to pay or they don't get to fully belong. And you see what a twist it is? It's twistianity at its best. A paid pastor of the Christian church is singularly beholden to the Lord and his flock. But members of an LDS ward are beholden to the bishop and the church, constantly serving and doing and paying in order to be fully approved and appreciated. When approved, a bishop, like any good middle uh, manager of a corporation, he will reward them with recognition, with better callings, and mentions from the pulpit. It, pulpit. If a person is disapproved, however, the bishop, like any good middle manager, works with them to improve their performance. And in the end, I can't help but believe that the LDS lay clergy is an oppressive and manipulative system devised by man with an appearance of goodness that they market to the world. We don't have paid clergy. But it's really a twisted thing when you look at it. Which is more Christian? You know, you got to ask yourself. All right. All of this having been said, let's conclude to say that the LDS do have paid clergy. And that's the bottom line. And it's a big one. And it's an ugly top-down paid clergy. Uh, all their church educational system uh, teachers are paid. And they are teachers of the word, supposedly. And they are all paid. Uh, and uh, their work is full-time in the Mormon church. All the general authorities of the church are paid. Everybody in the North Temple High Towers, all of them are paid. Everybody in the uh, Salt Lake Hierarchy are paid. All the church-owned companies, and is it God's church? Then the companies they own must be God's church too. All of them are paid. And years ago when we did a show on paid ministry, I said, I'll be willing to bet, I have no evidence of this, that's Thomas S. Monson, prophet of the church, who cut his teeth on employment in the church, I said, I'd be willing to bet he's a multimillionaire. Thomas S. Monson is a multimillionaire. How did he become a multimillionaire having worked in the church where there's no paid uh, salary, where there's no paid clergy? How does that happen? Well, a great researcher in support of our ministry, John M., did some outstanding research a while back on the financial side of Mormonism. And um, according to D. Michael Quinn in the Mormon Hierarchy, Extensions of Power, uh, they, they have a history of stake presidents and bishops gleaning percentages from the uh, uh, tithing that was given. And that went on and on. And this was the first multi-level clergy upline, if there ever was one. And then in 1888, all that stuff started to change. And it wasn't until 1920 where bishops really started to not take a cut from the tithing that was given to their ward. Did you know that? 
So this is the restored church, and for the first 100 years or so, 90 years, they received income from the tithings that were given, all right? And, but how are the, spe- then in about 1900, 1909, the LDS church came out and said, no one else gets to receive income anymore except the uh, apostles. They get to receive a, a, a modest income for living expenses, you know, so the apostles get to do it. Well, first, they receive money from the church. Second, they write books, and they have a built-in audience of 10 million people, and they can write books, and they glean from that. And then third, according to Quinn's research, um, the apostles serve as directors on boards that are owned by the church or boards that are friendly to the church. These directorial positions that they are assigned as apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they sit on these boards as directors, and 11 days out of the year, they have to give some time to give their input to what's going on with that uh, corporation that the church owns or that is friendly to the church. As payment for that, you average per directorial ship that you're on about 100 grand a year for 11 days of work. Those apostles all sit on boards, some of them one or two or three boards, some five or seven, some 12 or 13 boards at 100 grand a pot per board per year. See, this is how it works, my friends. And we're going to go to the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. A Latter-day Saint must go to the temple to live with God again. They must mandatorily pay 10% of their annual income to enter into that temple. These tithing dollars are used by the brethren to buy businesses. And then the prophet and the brethren are made directors of these businesses that the church owns, and they receive director's compensation at 100 grand a pop per directorial ship for it. No paid, no paid clergy. Right. All right. Uh, we are going to go, we're going to go to a spot really quickly for our partners program. We appreciate your support. However it comes, we need it. And then we're going to come and take Jason in Madison, Ohio, Jacob in Seattle, Michael and Sharon. We'll be back with you in a second. All right, grab a pencil. Just grab something to write with. Um, we have tried to do this spot several times. I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. I've been sitting here so long. And, but what we are, want to tell you is Heart of the Matter has been blessed greatly in trying to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, especially those who are in the LDS Church. We contend for the faith each and every week for five years. We have hundreds of programs. And by the grace of God, the fruit has been plentiful and we're seen all over the world. But this medium that we've chose, chosen called TV is very expensive, and we need you to help us stay on the air. So there are ways that you can do it, and we want you to partner with us. That's what we're asking you to do. So write this phone number down, 888-868-4686. You can also go online. You can go to www.hotm.tv, or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Again, let me give you that information. You can call us at 888-868-4686. You can sign up to be a partner by going online at hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. The Lord has taken this in spite of the host. In spite of the technical inability for me to get this partner's program down right.
but we need you and if he inclines your heart and you're interested please contact us and help us keep the program on the air god bless you we're back we appreciate it we're gonna go to jacob in seattle washington he's a first-time caller and he says he's lds jacob you're on heart of the matter hey sean how's it going i'm doing well how are you doing very well i like your show thanks man um, I wanted to ask you if you've heard any scriptures that speak specifically about LDS church or prophets. Because if, I think I have one to share with you if you don't. Yeah, let's hear it. It's from the Bible, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, let's hear it. Um, Matthew 24, you can turn there if you like. Um, and you've, I know you've read part of this scripture. It's Matthew 24, 24. Okay. It says, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, now, uh, Joseph Smith's Great Signs and Wonders, uh, one of them is the Book of Mormon, right? Uh-huh. Um, and he says, in so much as if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Wow. And um, so the very elect, I would say that the LDS people, quite honestly, are, I'm probably kind of biased because I grew up in the LDS church, but I, I would say that they're some of the best people that you can find. Yeah. Um, he that's a really so, good point, Jacob. Um, so now, now the, the, the good part of this is actually the next two verses. But let me ask you before this, uh, what modern-day prophet uh, do you know that guided their people into the, temp to the desert? Modern-day? Yes. Brigham Young. Yep. Okay, and now what prophet teaches that God is found in secret chambers? Okay, we have, we have jo uh, Joseph, Joseph Smith, right? Yeah, Joseph Smith and Joseph Fielding Smith. Uh-huh. Okay, now you, now you read the next two verses. And this is Jesus talking here. He says, And behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Huh. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Huh. Really so great. Good. Really great, so Jacob. That, and the thing that's uh -huh. good, good about that is that he's taught, Jesus is warning about false prophets and how many churches have prophets, men who call themselves prophets these days. Yeah, not very many. <laughs> yeah. Really good call, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching out there in Seattle. Um, one, one more thing that I wanted to ask you about um, yeah. is if you had any opinion on Seventh-day Adventism. My wife and I have been attending a Seventh-day Adventist church and have been finding it really good. Um, and it's similar in some ways to to the LDS church because it's uh, it's actually quite old, but I just wondered if you had any certain opinions on it. Yeah, I, I think they're they're similar in many ways to the LDS. I think there are many uh, Seventh-day Adventists who, who love the Lord and things. I worry about their uh, Sabbatarian ideas because the Sabbath day was never uh, uh, was never meant, that the, the covenant was not between us, the Gentiles and God, it was between the Jews and God, and to disobey it was death. And so I, I, while I agree with him that the Sabbath day is Saturday, I think it's uh, in the dispensation of grace, it's, it's a non-event. And so I hate to see them focus on something like that because all it brings in is legalism and pointing fingers. So, but uh -huh. I, I do know good, very wonderful uh, people from that faith, just like we know from all faiths. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, they, they understand the Bible a lot better than oh, other yeah. churches that I've attended. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they've distanced themselves from Ellen G. White, so which is a good thing yeah. too. 
but uh, wasn't it the Catholic Church that originally changed the Sabbath from Saturday into Sunday? Well, they say that, but you know, I think Scripture shows the first day of the week was the was the day of the Lord's resurrection. We never have the church uh, meeting on any day but the first day of the week uh, since the ascension of Christ, and so I think that Scripture upholds it before the Catholic Church even did it. What check scripture it, is that? Check it out. Check out all the New Testament. Uh, look in Acts and just see when they always met as a church. And that might help you out. Uh-huh. All right, okay. my friend. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you very much. God bless. Bye-bye. Yeah. We're going to Jason in Madison, Ohio. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, it is an honor and privilege to talk to a fellow sinner. And, and it's not a shame to say it to everyone around and plus preach the word of god praise god jason thanks and first of all i i am i can't wait to view the dvds that you guys are going to be sending me later this week okay okay real quick i'll make it brief um a few weeks ago i saw some lds missionaries walking around and then i don't know what you can call it a, a revelation or something that told me hey you know kind of look into the mormon the Book of Mormon versus, you know, the Bible. Then I came across your show. Huh. And I'm not looking back because you, I love your show, and it preaches to a lot of people. But to the heart of the matter is, you know, on Mormon, that Mormon.org, they have chat with us, correct? Yeah. Okay. And for all the LDS people out there that think that you're a fraud or whatever. Yeah. Guess what? what? Twice today, they admitted to me on their chat that they are not Christian. Huh. And they admitted to me that you have to be LDS to quote-unquote walk with God in the celestial, or whatever it's called, the highest level of their level of kingdom. Yeah. That's great. I'm glad you're sharing that, Jason, because you're out there in Madison, Ohio. You're not part of our ministry. I've never met you. And you are sharing what you experienced on Mormon.org from a Mormon's mouth. So this is just getting around all their PR and all the BS the missionaries are saying otherwise. You got it straight from them, and you're saying it on the show. I appreciate it. And real quick, I'm going to shoot you an email tomorrow because I talked with a gentleman earlier about volunteer, volunteering for you guys. Okay. Out, out here in Ohio, so I'm going to shoot you an email tomorrow. Perfect. We'll be getting in contact with you really quickly on that, too. Okay, you know what? Last thing, keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, and, Jason. God right. bless you. Hey, love you, brother. Love you, too. Bye-bye. We're going to Michael in Salt Lake City. Uh, no, we're going to Brian in Seattle. He's LDS, and he's a first-time caller. Uh, Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Hey, um, congratulations on your beard growth, too. It looks great. Thank you. Um, hey, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess you can say I'm kind of a John DeLynn kind of Mormon. Okay. Uh, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, trying to get my head around the Bible and just spend more time uh, focused on, on studying the Bible. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I did email you a question, so you can, you can get rid of my email okay. um, since I'm on the show. Uh, it's about Adam and Eve. All right. Um, my my question is is how how literally uh, do you? I've been watching your show for a long time. How literally do you take 
uh, the uh, the story of Adam and Eve. I, I take the story of Adam and Eve literally. Okay. Yeah. So how does that? How do you resolve that? Uh, and this isn't a setup question. I'm yeah. honestly curious. Uh huh. How do you how do you resolve that with uh, all of the evidence that we have of um, biological evolution of uh, species uh, of human species being around for fourteen thousand years and beyond? Well, you're asking. Uh, I know that um, evolution is a theory that has never been proven. I know that they have resorted to punctuated equilibrium to justify the time frame because they don't even have enough time to, to account for uh, men uh, growing up to intelligent beings of recorded history from amoebas. So it's a theory. I believe in evolution. Uh -huh. I just don't believe in macroevolution. I believe in uh -huh. microevolution. Uh, I don't know how it plays in. I'm not going to stand on anything. Uh, I don't believe science. Uh, necessarily conflicts with the Word of God. I think in places that it does, science needs to grow. I think we don't have all the picture. Uh, I don't die on those hills. If, if God used evolution to do things, I really don't care. I think he's, it's possible. Uh, okay. but, but I do so believe... Beyond, I do believe beyond the, evolution and taking evolution out of the question here, okay. uh, you are aware that we have found human remains and primitive tools 10,000 years ago, 14,000 years ago. Well, it's based on carbon dating, which is an exact science. Okay. I, okay. You know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. And again, you asked me about Adam and Eve. As far yeah. as how old, the, how, how old the earth is, new, new earth or old earth and all that stuff, I don't know. And to be yeah. frank, I don't care. because yeah, I, I just reason... believe in the Adam and Eve story. I think they were the first humans. And I don't yeah. think that we came from another source. But no, the only the only reason I ask is because if if Adam and Eve weren't literal, if that was a Judaic myth, then the next question comes of well, what if the origin of sin? You understand where I'm? Yeah, I do. Struggling with yeah. that. And that's why I don't step on that slippery slope, because I believe the story of sin entering into the world, and I believe the 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 premise of God wanting a relationship with His human creations, and that sin falling into the world, and so. I step on a slippery slope if I don't take this story of Adam and Eve seriously. And I do. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, I believe within me, verifies it's a true story. But well, again, I second, can't Sean, prove it. The Holy Spirit verifies that. That's what the LDS people say. I know. But you're, the whole, <laughs> I know. I know. But it does by virtue of his word. And I'm not just pulling it out of there like I am golden plates. I mean, we do have his word and we do have ancient manuscripts supporting it. So it's not as big of a stretch as just saying the Holy Spirit tells me that Joseph Smith was truly a prophet. I mean, we do have some historicity behind the story. We do have actual river's name, you know, Tigris and, and Euphrates and all these in the story of Adam and Eve, and they're actual places. So I do buy into that. I do believe it. I'm not saying I have all the facts, but I do believe that that was God, and I do believe in his word. That's the best I can do for you, Brian. All right. I appreciate the answer. Okay. Thanks for calling. Thanks for watching. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we are going to Michael, Salt Lake City. He's LDS. Then we're going to go to Sharon and Christina. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good evening, Sean. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Good. Uh, thank you for taking my call, first of all. You're welcome. I can't hear you too well. Okay. Um, just uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just calling to uh, uh, ask, uh, please explain to me the difference between Mormonism 
and Christianity regarding the unforgivable sin? Oh, wow, I can't necessarily. Um, well, Doctrine and Covenants 132, I think it's 132 or 130, it says that the only sin in which you will not be forgiven is wherein you shed innocent blood after having received the new and everlasting covenant, and that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is directly from Doctrine and Covenants, so their definition of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is if you have gone through the temple and you shed innocent blood thereafter. Huh. That's the only thing you can't be forgiven for, and that's using their scripture. Christianity, it's up to debate, and I've heard many different answers, but I believe contextually, really looking at the word as a whole, and the context in which Jesus said, this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is when the works Jesus did, the miracles he did, when they assign those miracles to the power of Beelzebub or to Satan. And Jesus said, you can blaspheme, you can speak against the Son of Man, but when you speak against the power of the Holy Spirit, that is an unforgivable sin. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it really happens very much, or if ever, in this day and age, because we're not witnessing those miracles. Now, maybe if we did witness a miracle from Jesus, someone being raised from the dead, and I said, you know, that was from the devil, that wasn't from God, maybe I would be committing that. But I believe that is the true Christian context of what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. Okay. Does that help? Yes. Uh, first, last of all, uh, I appreciate your willingness to confess your sins on the air. Uh, there should be a new rule. Um, before you can call someone a sinner, you have to first confess your own sins. Otherwise, it's just self-righteousness. That's a good rule. a good rule? I like that rule, Michael. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go to Sharon, first-time uh, caller. Sharon from Salt Lake City, Utah. Yes. You're on the air, Sharon. Oh, hi, Sean. Hi. You have to turn your TV set, honey, because you're going to confuse us all. It's down. Okay. Hey, uh, you answered a lot of my questions, but I wanted to tell you something. My husband and I are born-again Christians. We moved here just a few years ago, uh -huh. and I was at a, a relative's home, and they were really struggling financially and had received a cutoff notice for their electricity uh -huh. when suddenly the um, bishop showed up and they wrote a check out really fast for their tithes and gave it to him. And, boy, that really um, got to me because they didn't care what these people's situation was. Yeah. Another thing that happened is... Um, when I first learned about the young people going off to the different countries, you know, to be a missionary, uh -huh. I was amazed to find out that the parents had to pay for everything, still cover their medical, plus then I think now it's $450 a month for yeah. their care. And I was told, well, you know, that's kind of because to feed them or house them. And I know that the church is so rich, and they can't even take care of these young people. Yeah. And uh, in one family I know of, the mother had to go to work and get babysitters just so she could cover the cost of it. Yeah. And well, I don't understand how they can justify that in their hearts. Well, Sharon, Mormonism, is are, they are the ultimate materialists. 
And uh, it goes back to really a fundamental principle that matter can't be created nor destroyed even by God. And so they believe in the acquisition of material. They, be they believe in the importance of money. They believe in the importance of, of having nice things. And they focus their life on the acquisition of those things because to them it shows that God is blessing them because they are worthy and more and more. And it's a theme that runs throughout the Book of Mormon. Now I'll have Mormons disagree with me on this, but I know, for, I know just, it just, it's all tied together. And so being financially successful and sound is paramount to Mormonism. And you can tell they do everything top of the line. It's all about the cash. And, 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 and so they do share it. They do help people, but there's a, there's a cost to it, and it isn't what the Bible describes as that kind of helping and giving. It's a, it's a more orchestrated, organizationally uh, structured thing. So you've just witnessed it, that's all. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the longer I've been here, I have to tell you, I don't know if flabbergasted is the best word for it or not, but um, when I first... Uh, well, I have a question... Way back, before Mormonism began, yeah. right up to the point when it did begin, I wonder why it began when people already had the Bible, that, which is all-inclusive. Yeah. What was the problem going on that people would believe somebody who is absolutely delusional? And, you know, I've, asked, I've talked to Mormon people today about it, and I... And I told them, you know why that can't happen today is that we are too knowledgeable. And if somebody said, I, I ran out in the wilderness and saw an angel and God and brought back these plates, although I can't tell you what they say, we would know to start them on psychotic medication. Well, Sharon, what you, what you say makes some sense maybe in, in, in the civilized world and in place where education is high. But, you know, these things pop up all the time. There's a guy who claims to have translated the book of Jeronek that an a a angel delivered to him in England, and he has followers. I mean, oh. we, ha we have David Koresh going to Waco, and those people believing his words that the end was near, and, and the ATF was causing it, and, and they were going to go out in a band of glory. We had Poe tell people to kill themselves to join the spaceship on Halley's Comet. I mean, it doesn't end. And Jesus, like that earlier caller, warned us, false prophets are going to come. And that's why we need a manual to do us. And I'll tell you, early Mormonism, when you read its history, Joseph Smith was charismatic. He started a new movement. The restoration movement was very popular at that time, saying we have to restore the, the real church back to this earth. People got away from trusting the Bible. Joseph told them they can't trust it. He provided them with new revelation. And again, we got the whole thing going. So that's how it happened, my friend. Thank you so much for your call. Thanks for explaining it, Sean. Okay, I God. really enjoy your program. I never miss it. Oh, thanks so much, Sharon. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Barbara in Sandy. Barbara, you're Sandy, Utah. You're on Heart of the Matter. Thanks. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hey, um, since you were talking about money tonight, I thought I would share something with you. Okay. Um, about 20 years ago, I worked for a contractor um, doing the outside remodel of the Manti Temple. And you have to have a temple recommend in order to get those contracts. Oh. And they were paying them three times the going rate. It blew me away. Huh. So even if they don't get quote-unquote paid, they're making money, um, you know, way more than people who are just making a normal living. Wow, that's an amazing story. 
I'm glad to hear it from someone who actually saw it firsthand, too. I'm sure it well, goes yeah. on all the time. I know, and I actually got kicked off uh, for bringing coffee onto the job. Wonderful. <laughs> Welcome so, to the theocracy of Utah. Well, yes, I know. Hey, I was born and raised Mormon, and God just uh, didn't let me buy into it all the way. But all my family and people that I love are still Mormons, so keep up the good work and just don't ever give up. Thanks, Barbara. God bless. God bless you, too. Bye-bye, Sean. Okay, bye. We're going to Christina in Oregon, first-time caller. Christina, you only have a minute and a half, my friend. Okay, I'll make it quick. Okay. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to let you know that um, thanks to your show this last week, been watching it just on the past videos, and it's brought me back to Jesus, and I just really appreciate that. Oh, awesome. Secondly, though, um, I have a really good friend that is a, a Mormon, and she ha there was a couple things that she's mentioned recently that I haven't heard you mention yet, and I just wanted to ask. Um, first being, she said something about if people um, have vices, like they drink coffee or smoke cigarettes, I smoke and drink uh -huh. coffee. Uh -huh. Anyway, that um, those things that you will, when you're in like the middle, teens, whatever it is they believe in, you'll still have those cravings and you won't be able to get rid of them. Yeah. Is that, was that what you were taught to? Yeah, I was taught that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. okay. That's why you anyway. don't want to establish the bad habit of smoking or coffee because you'll be in the other kingdom just waiting to get something and you can't get it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right, now, and that was, that was kind of a trivial one, but the second one that I really wonder about, she, of course, the Sabbath. Um, we're both horse people, yeah. and we took the horses out for a trail ride up in the mountains, and um, it was supposed to be a whole weekend thing, and I didn't know about this at the time, but and then come Sunday, we were supposed to go for a ride Sunday morning, and it was a plan, and the next morning, Sunday morning, then she starts hemming and hawing about it, and I said, what do you mean? She says, well, I just don't think it's right. I haven't done it before. And we're already up there vacationing. <laughs> I'm like, well, what could be more closer to God, spiritual, than going out on your horses and going for a ride and all this beautiful things that he's created, you know? And Christina, just, we're running out of time. Let me answer. You, okay. you want to know what's motivating her? What's up? Uh, it's just she's been taught to keep the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. She makes covenants to do that. And right. she feels very guilty, and it's a bondage. It's pure bondage on what they've done to her That's because so she doesn't understand what Jesus does in making every day a Sabbath day. You know right. what, my That's friend so from Bend, Oregon, we're out of time. I really appreciate your call. Okay, thank you. Thanks. You guys join us next week. We're going to continue on, and I believe, let's see, today was paid clergy, I think, if my alphabetizing is correct. Next week, we will be talking about polygamy. Hang on to your hats because you're going to hear some things you might disagree with. We'll see you then on Heart of the Matter. Good job, audience. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rustic cage and run.